0: Hi, welcome to Master's Choice Podcast, episode 13. Today my co-host was Scott Harris, uh, National Sales Manager for Master's Choice. Kevin Kuhn was a, was a walk-in guest for our, he's our CEO at Master's Choice. And also we had a call-in guest, Roy Bessing from Kansas. We spoke a lot today about uh, consumer demands for um, non-GMO, organic, and other aspects of that. But we also talked about food labeling and and what all that entails and how to get farmers to be more involved in talking to consumers. So we hope that you enjoy this podcast today, and thanks for joining us. Hi, and welcome to Master's Choice Podcast, Episode 13. Scott Harris is my co-host today. Scott, welcome. Thank you. It's good yes, to be back. It is. It is good to be back. And so, uh, Scott is our national sales manager. Uh, We've worked together very close. As we said many times in the past, that we we came on here about the same time at Master's Choice, and so we're we're pushing uh, we're pushing almost six years now together. Yeah, that just doesn't still seem possible. No, I, I know. All. It's awesome. So, and in fact, this, this week you were out with the R&D guys. So we were we were teaching you a little research and development. Right. I like to call I was an honorary. An R&D, honorary. <laughs> or,
1: uh, you know, the guy who does the stuff that the other R&D guys didn't want to do yeah, necessarily yeah. out in the field. So, no. but so, it was fine. I enjoy when I get to get out in the field. It's such a different change of pace for me from necessarily just sitting at a desk or I travel so much, you know. Right. And I get to go out and look and look at plots, but not in the initial stage like yeah. this and be a part of that. So
0: I enjoy it. Yeah, so Cullen and I we uh Cullen was 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 planting. I was driving and, and you were uh for those guys who maybe out there know anything about uh research planters, he you were running the cable, making sure that we were had all of our alleys right and, and putting everything down correct. Yeah, it's um you know,
1: I was the cable guy. You were the cable guy. You know? So uh, it, it, apparently it's a very important role. It is. Um, so I, uh, I I don't know if I haven't decided if I should bill Cullen directly, or do we need to talk about that after the podcast? Cullen, Cullen I, directly.
0: That, that bill will Cullen go directly. and come from his personal account. Okay, great, <laughs> so, great. I absolutely. will work on that then. Absolutely. So, um, you know, Scott, in the past, you and I, we've talked about different areas that you work in and different types of people that you work in, and we've talked everything from – uh, industry traits, uh, herbicide traits. Um, we've talked about uh, insect traits. You know, we've talked about th- those kinds of things. Uh, we've also talked about non-GMO markets and and just what consumers are, are looking for. So I was reading an article uh, this past, oh, I guess it's been a week or two ago, and, and it, it was, I think it was done, if I remember everything correctly, and, and somebody's probably going to comment and and uh, that, that I, I'm an idiot and but that's okay. Um, right, so. Yeah, it's probably rightly so. But anyway, they're they're gonna comment. Oh, you, you got you got it all wrong. But if I'm not mistaken, there was a study done at University of Illinois. Yeah. Okay, that was uh, basically went through and asked consumers what labels on food really mattered to them. Yeah. Okay. Did you, you see that article? Yes. yes. Okay. Any surprises there for you? Anything that that you were you were I
1: I would say a lot of surprises for me. Uh, when I when I went through it and and so, so kind of hit on some of the highlights from yeah. it. Um, so they went through basically and they they wanted to know what mattered to consumers. Right. What really mattered to you with all these labels? There's so many different labels. We right now non-GMO labeling is the hot topic, but there's a bunch of labels. Right. You know, when it comes right. to food. Um so the top things that were listed were animals were not administered growth hormones was number one. Okay. Uh, genetically modified organisms not, were not used was number two. Animals were humanely raised was three. Animals were not administered antibiotics was four. Animals were raised in a free range or cage-free was five. Animals were grass-fed or raised on a vegetarian diet was six. And seventh... Pulling up the rear was certified organic. Interesting, interesting. Yes.
0: That that is, and so so these labels are are labels labels that are found on on uh, food products: beef, chicken, milk, eggs, uh, th- those kind of food products. And, and they ask guys, you know, of, of all of these labels, which ones are are most important? And the most important one was was the not administered growth hormones. Not not administered growth hormones was so. So it's interesting that consumer perception. Is really has to do more with um, cat. Uh, I'm going to talk cows. Uh, has to do with the way the animal was raised, right? More than more than anything else, right? And, and the the thing about it, there's
1: so many things we can talk about with this, and hopefully we'll we'll remember to hit it all. But the crazy thing is, okay, so growth hormones was listed number one, but there's segments in the food industry that you can't use growth hormones, right? You know, The poultry. Right. For example, right? No one, everything has no has no growth hormones. So the the businesses that advertise no growth hormones are brilliant because nobody has it.
0: The, but no, yeah, they are that's the way they're labeling and exactly. marketing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think I think one thing that's in in interesting to me in this whole thing and and, and I, we really don't have a dog in the fight, right? No. We 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 don't have a dog in the fight. Uh, but it's really interesting that you think about labels labels is really just packaging and and marketing you know i think sometimes we use this term label and we think about you know the ingredients on the back of it you right. know and and all of those those verifiable type uh attributes and ingredients and those kinds of things you know but really label has to do with 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 the packaging of it and that's and that's really marketing
1: yeah yeah it's exactly right and and, and the thing is so i I got really intrigued by this when I when I read it yesterday, and in preparation for this, I decided I was going to uh, I was going to text about ten of my friends, mm-hmm. and I kn- I wanted to make sure they were non-ag people. Um, And just in varying uh, social climates, varying income levels. Did you find 10 friends? Uh, 10 acquaintances. Okay. 10 acquaintances. Let me make that clear. I don't have 10 friends, Uh, but I'm looking for more friends. You're looking for more friends. Right.
0: So so look him up on Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) Click
1: click like. (laughs) And so when I text them, the responses I got were, I won't say they were surprising, but I think they gave me a better understanding of why we saw some of the results from Illinois that we did. Obviously, mine was only 10 people. Right, right, right. right? So, a uh, sample size was obviously very small. Yeah. But what I found is about, I think, three out of the 10 did not care what was on the label because they don't trust the label. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if that was going to continue, you know, that's a huge segment of the population is they think it's nothing but a marketing ploy. Right. You know, so you know, I'm not going to trust that. Well, you know, that's just a way to get my to, to get me to pay ten dollars instead of five dollars, right? It's nothing more that, that That's how a lot of the consumers I think are starting to trend that way. They don't because they don't trust big company. They don't trust the government necessarily. For a lot of people, I mean, there's just this really dis, big factor of distrust sure. that's going sure. on with these with, with everybody. And and the other thing that came up was even the ones that did trust them have no idea what most of them mean what most of the labels mean it's all just buzzwords to them you know right well growth I even had one of, one of the one of the girls that I text even said I, I don't know what growth hormone really means but it sounds really bad <laughs> like, right, <laughs> you know? right right right. right like well that just I don't think I want that. Yeah, I don't I don't want to grow the hormone. I
0: don't I don't want to be big.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to turn into the Incredible Hulk. I mean, I think that's the the mindset that we're we're dealing with from from a consumer standpoint. I mean, before prior going into AG, I didn't know what most of that stuff meant, right. and and it wasn't even as big of a deal. The fact that organic came so low on the list. Um I think there's some some reasoning there. One is I think the the fact that people don't necessarily trust the labels, okay, so they don't. I don't know if they necessarily believe believe what it is, right? And I think the other factor is that it's just that people are so uh, so worried that about what their family is getting, but yet are my. I'm not willing to necessarily spend that much more money. I am not willing. I can't afford. Can't afford to. I can't afford to do it, right? Yeah. We all know that it's it's harder to eat healthier. It's more costly, right? Well, I think organic getting lumped into that and it's yep. kind of getting demonized a little bit as, you know, why does it have to be so expensive? Yep. You know, so it, it's just really interesting um, how the certified organic thing is just really starting to get almost kind of a black eye for a lot of consumers, I think, because they, again, they, I think it's a lack of education for a lot of people.
0: I, I think you're right. We as a culture have really separated ourselves away from our food. Yeah. Um you know, we, we are, we're fortunate enough that, that we were raised in a place where we kind of knew, for, for lack of better terms, where our food came from. Uh, you know, my, my kids are fortunate enough to know that the bacon that they had for breakfast actually came from the pig that was down at the barn. Uh, that the that the pickles that they get out of the jar actually came from the garden, and they they were connected to that, and they and they helped with that. But I think a lot of people, you know, we're we we have separated ourselves from the food. You know, we we talk about in the ag industry that we have separated the grower of the of the of the corn from the guy who's feeding the corn to livestock anyway, and 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 how much more. Res- rev- Removed, yeah, is is the end consumer there? When we think about, you know, they they really don't know, right? They, they don't. And the funny thing to me, Mark, is that it's it's changed. Like it went from
1: the consumer wanted to know everything because they knew the neighbor raised pigs and we ended up with his pig, right? Or we they had their own animal to a transition of I don't care, you know, I don't just give me my food, right, right, right. Now back to, I want to know what's I, in everything that I'm eating, and you better tell me. Yeah. Right?
0: I, I, wonder, I, I wonder about this this, uh, this article, and it doesn't say it anywhere, but I wonder what would happen if they were to put locally produced. You know what I mean? Locally I, produced. Lo, locally it's produced. Funny,
1: it's funny that you say that because I did have two different people of those ten say, I care more about local. Yeah, I was actually asking one of the girls here in the office, you know, what's the most important thing to you? I mean, I showed her the list and she goes, Well, the one that's most important to me isn't on there. She said it's local.
0: Yeah. Right. I, I really think that we're gonna see a trend where where people are, are going to are, are really gonna move more uh, towards locally raised or locally produced or, or or locally grown or however that is, where where they can be connected. And 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 you know, I mean not not to not to belabor this point a whole lot but uh, you know you know that that there are uh there are things that that i i grow on on my on on our little our little farm there here in anna or a, outside of jonesboro and and i come and i bring eggs to the office and and we we do pork and everything and and what we, what i have is people who who are here who say can i bring my kids to 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 see the chickens can i see can i bring my kids to see the pigs and i think that there is there is a trend towards that way uh that that that's where consumers are going to be so i think it is interesting as we as we look through this people were more concerned about how those animals were raised i mean cage-free eggs doesn't really do anything for the nutrient value of the eggs whatsoever right absolutely not it it doesn't it's a it's a consumer perception that i want i want these chickens to be to be happy i don't want them to be in, in cages and, and so it really, it really has nothing. And if they can, if, if the consumer can shift the, the um, uh, you know, the retailer, okay, they, they've basically gone and the retailer said, I, I, I want cage-free eggs. Right. Um, and most big retailers have said, okay, that, that's fine. We'll go, we'll go to the pro- producer and say, we got to have cage-free eggs and we're going we're gonna to move that way. If the consumer can do that, they can shift a lot of things. And, Absolutely. and, and, and I wonder of all of, of these things on this list, what'll be the next big shift. Yeah. And yeah, I,
1: that, that's one of the things that I'm really intrigued about too. And then it's really from a marketing standpoint and, and we've said it's marketing. It's not that there's, there's some signs behind some of this stuff. Right. But from a marketing standpoint, man, what a beautiful idea to take something that, that sounds really good, you know, okay. Cage free. Well, yeah. what are you going to, what else are you going to call it? caged up you want some no i prefer (laughs) caged up eggs caged up eggs yeah (laughs) right right. i prefer my eggs chickens to be caged up and miserable that's what i really prefer yeah so you know you take something that's pretty common sense of whatever everything people would want and market it yeah right it's pretty it's pretty smart like you know gluten-free steaks yeah
0: gluten-free steaks (laughs) because yeah yeah (laughs) yeah, yeah, let's let's not let's not let's not go there i shouldn't have started that one but um uh, because I like steak, uh, <laughs> so so let's let's go back to this. The the top seven things there. Uh, first of all, the animals were not administered growth hormones, but the last one was certified organic. Yep. Okay, which which really kind of surprised me because I, I really thought that there would be more people who would say, "Oh, if this is certified organic, that's more important to me." And especially as an organic farmer, that that may be a little bit alarming as an organic farmer because that process to To um to get certified organic is a pretty is pretty extensive.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So you're talking about a three year process, um, of no chemical, right? No treatment on any of your seeds, um, or or an organically approved treatment. or or an organically approved treatment, right? Um, on any of your seed for three years before you can even begin to receive the benefit back mm-hmm. of organic. So yeah, if I'm an organic farmer and I look at this study. And I just completed my transition. I'm terrified a little. I'm pretty scared about the fact that that came in so low, yeah, um, on the list.
0: Yeah. So, so the the organic farmers that that you get to deal with, and and the dealers that deal with the organic farmers, what um what percentage? And and maybe this is shooting from the hip, and and you know it's not but what percentage of those guys are organic because they are because of conviction and what percentage of those guys are organic because it makes sense profit profit wise.
1: My gut is that it's probably now at this point where it's 60% profit. Really? I think. Okay. Um, just because that organic milk market is still nice for one example and, um, I think there's a third piece there is I'm already in this, so I'm in it. Yeah. Right? It's does somebody have a, has somebody, have, do people have conviction for it? Yes, absolutely. Of course, right. there's, you know, a good percentage of people that do it from a conviction standpoint, but maybe they did it from a conviction standpoint and then thought, man, this is working out pretty well financially. Right. But, or there's the guys that do it from just a financial standpoint, but now that they've made that transition, they're kind of stuck. Okay. You know? Um, so they're probably just gonna have to write it out. So my guess would be 60-40. Uh, it's a absolute one, like you said, hundred percent pure guess.
0: Yeah, it's an um, opinion.
1: Yeah. yeah, Um, I don't know what your thought is.
0: But. Uh, yeah, I, I really, um, I, I don't know. I, don't, I don't really. That's why I was asking you because I really don't have a, have a good handle on that. You know, when I, when I'm looking at uh, silage samples and, uh, and evaluating those things, to me, I, I lump it all in the, in the same pot. You know. So.
1: I- I think the hard part to answer that is that a small organic. Okay, if I took s- if I could break that down and segment by size, okay, your percentages would look a lot different. Okay, uh, a a five hundred acre organic farm, I would say eighty percent of those guys are doing it because of they believe in it. Okay, it's their passion. Yeah, right. Where you take a large corporate large organic farm okay. it's probably a money thing yeah. it's probably not a a not a, a conviction a belief, a belief right a belief. so it's right. probably 80 percent the other way right right so it's just that the the segments would probably be very
0: different okay so as as we kind of think about this and we think about okay so this is this is consumer um wants and desires and and, and kind of consumer focused if if i'm a farmer how do I, what do I, what do I do when I see this? What are, what, what, what do I do with this information as a farmer?
1: I guess the biggest question is you definitely need to make sure you're evaluating where your future is going to be. Okay. Right. As much as, you know, you, you, you're not talking about next year. When I say future, I'm talking about what does my farm look like in five years Yeah. or seven years or 10 years, right? Um, that's one of the biggest things we can we can take from this from a consumer standpoint is if they're driving this i mean we've been hearing about non-gmo since i started i mean we kind of heard about it but look how much has really happened in the last year yeah you know um so people that would have started looking at this five six seven years ago when it first started to be a little bit of buzz here and there think of the difference that they could be in if they would have just properly planned ahead and thought this is going to happen you know I think we tend to have an, a thought process in the ag industry of ah that'll that'll never amount to anything, right? You right. Know, organic yeah. that uh, there's always going to be a little bit, but it won't be anything. Non-GMO that won't be anything. Yeah, it's happening. It is you know, happening. The ball is rolling. So are you going to you know help push the ball uphill, or are you going to get ran over by the ball as it starts to go down the hill?
0: So I, I think I think there's an interesting perspective here. Um, you know, you look you look at the most farmers that I know. They are the ones who are connected to the food supply, and and you know they are the ones who are who are connected uh, to to these things. Um, I wonder, I wonder if there's not a way because it, it almost seems to me that the that the consumer is is not connected to the farmer. And if they could sit down with the farmer and he say, "This is why I do the things that I do. This is why I farm the way that I farm," you know. It, but it almost seems like it almost seems like they're they're getting this perspective from the retailer yeah. more than they are the farmer, and the farmer's saying, "Look, I'm the expert here, you know, I, I'm the expert here, and you're the consumer. Let me let me help you understand that that your food is safe, or, or whatever." But but nobody nobody wants to try to try to try to bridge that gap.
1: Bridge the gap. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and it comes back to you and I talked one of the one of the previous ones about. Who does the burden fall on? Yeah. You know, and I think your statement was everybody is who it really falls on. But until someone really steps up to take that, you know, and honestly, it's things like this. It's podcasts like this where we're having the conversations to, if nothing more than to spur ideas and thoughts and conversations about it. Um, yep. my Here's my, my, I guess, kind of my end thinking from this part of it is that a big percentage of farms have no problem opening up. The curtain let you see in. This is why we do what we do. A big percentage of consumers don't really care. They just wanna know. Yeah. Right. I just want to know what's in my food. If you tell me you have to do it and that makes sense, I'm good. Yeah. It's the small percentages on both sides of that that make the most noise. Yep. And and, and cause the friction.
0: I I would I would completely I would completely agree with that. And and so so farmers then yeah. are are naturally uh, you know reserved standoffish. and standoffish and and look you know you you don't understand why i do what i do and the consumer says well you don't understand why i want what i want right and, and absolutely and, and so i think that there's got to be um i got to be that bringing back together so let's just so let, let's kind of let's kind of jump off from there in into this um so, so, so farmers have to kind of be open, uh, but they seem to be closed off and, and, and standoffish. So, so say, let's just say, so consumers desire desire something. Mm-hmm. What what are what are the what are the reasons that a farmer would try a new practice? I mean, what what are the motivations behind him him shifting to to new ideas and to new things? There actually there actually was
1: a second study that University of Illinois did. Okay. Um, and, and it doesn't relate well, I don't think it was meant to relate to it, but it really does yeah. to kind of the previous yeah. topic we were just talking about is okay, you you want us to do all these changes. Do you understand what that means for us? Right. You know, you better motivate I've got to be motivated to make a change. I mean that we we take that into our own personal lives, you know. Right. You want to say you say I want to lose weight, you have to make a change yeah. to be able to do that. Right. I don't know what it is, obviously but there is some I'm, kind of changes it. that have to be made. <laughs> there are, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? That's so. what I've heard. I've, I've heard of such things, you know. Um, I think that one of the biggest things that, that that happens is you have different types of growers, right? And so the the study at, that, at the University of Illinois, you know, labeled people from, like, educated networkers to young innovators and, and you know, who was more money-motivated, who was more hands-off um, – and which ones were more willing to make that transition? Um, to me, it, I don't think it's that complicated. I think that most farm your small farms, you know, go back to kind of what we, the same reference we made before: small, medium, large, corporate type farming. Yep. Um, your small farms are going to be much more willing to make a change, you know, or at least give it the idea because it's not as it's not as complicated for them, right? If I'm farming a couple hundred acres, it's not as near as complicated to make a Make a big change on to okay. my practice, right? Okay. Where, in a large farm, on the other end, I think is the same way. Even though it's large, and it may not make sense to somebody, but let's think through the psychology of it. If I'm a large farm, I'm an innovator. Yep. Right. I'm, I've got the money and the resources to make these changes, these big corporate changes. Right. Yeah. It's these farms in the middle that it's too—they're too big to just make a quick, easy change. They don't have the financial resources to necessarily be able to do it. So they're going to continue to do what they've been doing for as okay. long as they've been doing. Okay. So size. So so size of the farm
0: kind of will I help contribute. I think it's
1: contribute. a big factor. Okay. And it's not talked about in this, but I think that is one of the largest factors. Because so many times it's not an unwillingness. It's an, an inability. Inability. To okay. be able to do it. All right. Right? So, I mean, think about farm calls. You've been on plenty of farm calls, too. But um, when I go into a farm call and I'm sitting in front of a, a, a big, large corporate farm, you know, most of the time you're sitting with the decision maker. You're not sitting with the people that actually have to do it. Right. Right. So the decision maker says, yes, we're going to do this. And I'm going to tell my guys to figure out a way to get it done. And then the guy's job is to figure out a way to get (laughs) get it done. Right. 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 That makes sense. When you're sitting on a small farm, it's the same thing, except you're sitting with the same person. The guy who's actually having to do it is the guy who's making the decision too. He says, yeah, I like this. I'm going to figure out a way to get it done.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And it's it's those medium farms that have the toughest time. I think trying to figure out what change do I really want to make is it worth it, right? What okay. mo- what's going to motivate me to
0: make that change? All right. So in the study, what were some other what were some of the other uh, motivational uh, aspects that were mentioned? Well,
1: I know that what did I do? Oh. Uh, I know that the um, the
0: money motivators,
1: right? Okay. So those are your typically your your guys that I would say chase premiums. Okay. Right, um, whether you're talking about premiums for grain, premium on certain types of crops, premiums on um, milk yeah. or whatever it might be, those are the ones that chase it instead of making a philosophical change or a long-term change. Okay, right. So those are kind of more your money motivators. Um, the young innovators, educated, um, educated networkers, these are the guys that I think tend to look at more uh, long-term. I, okay. A great example of this to me is some of the farms that we deal with out west. Okay. Okay. Um, some of the, a lot of the dairy farms in California, a lot of them have made changes. They are taking out corn acres and putting in different type of nut production. Okay. Right. And because they can get more per acre out of that nut production. But it, for most of those nuts, I think it takes like seven years or five years or something before they really see their first. Uh, good harvest. Okay. That's a big. I mean, that's a big picture idea there. Right. I mean, that's that's a risk. Yeah. Right. Um, so I guess it's just, but they're doing it still for financial reasons as much as anything else. Um, it's those farmers that I in in the study talks about it. Um, that the the people that are money motivated and hands off are much less likely to make a change, right. They're much less likely to because they know this works they know this is this safe the, this is safe i know i can make money at this so i'm not i don't want to hear about anything else but the innovators you know the young innovators the educated networkers the people that are that are constantly in meetings going to meetings learning what each other's doing are the ones that are going to be more likely to make a change on any type of change in the farm
0: yeah whether Makes it be sense.
1: seed or changes to their practice or what they're growing or anything
0: okay good good so, um, so as as we take this uh, and and we look at this and and we look at it, you know, uh, I wonder, you know, how much how much influence. So we talk about how much influence labels have on consumers, but I really wonder how much um, how much influence that they really have on 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 farmers down. And, and most of the time, what I see is that the farmer resisting uh, some of these things. You know, and and I think part of it goes back to the fact that that those guys they they know we know that this works. I mean, how many guys do we have that that have one hybrid that they have been planting because they know that this hybrid works on their farm and they know that it gives them this level of milk production, um, and and so they know that, and so so they're very. Uh, this is this is what I want. Yeah. You know, this is, and and so I think that, I I, I just I just wonder how much influence that. That the consumers are going to continue to have on um, on 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 the agriculture industry,
1: I and that's the thing that I think we can't figure out is yeah. you know in from a you know the con, the consumer um, is screaming and saying they want it and, and you know they can scream and yell and and say it forever, but until the farm makes a change or I guess even until the middleman. Yeah. Makes a change. You know, it, it, it's got to be a little bit tough for some of the corporations to figure out, how, you know, I've got my farmers screaming up and saying, no. Right. We can't do this. Yeah. Like, you don't understand. We can't do this. And my and the consumer's saying, you better figure out a way to do it. And then you're stuck, you know, as the industry person, you're stuck in the stuck middle. In the like, middle. how do I balance this? And, and one of the ways that they've tried to balance it is with the labeling. Yeah. You know? But the question is, have we gotten over labeled?
0: I, and I think, I think that that's probably what has happened. You know? I think that we've definitely gotten overlabeled.
1: Yeah, and I think it, 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 has, it has caused those labels to lose their value.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, just like you said, you know, a steak that's labeled gluten-free. Exactly. It, you, know. It, you know, it's just, at that point, we've gotten over <laughs> we've, you know? we've definitely gotten over-labeled. Yeah. So, uh, so, Scott, we've got a, a guest in today. Um, we, we're going to uh, have uh, Roy uh, Bessing uh, call in, and so we're going to be talking to him. And, uh, and and he's gonna he's gonna in, impart some wisdom to, to you and I absolutely
1: and uh, Roy will Roy will be a good resource for all of this actually because Roy does some organic okay and non GMO and he's part of the transition and so he's and he balances a, a running a dairy and and trying to actually sell some seed and also uh, trying to just you know his family. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, just everything and parts, be, be part of this transition, and so, so it'll be a good conversation. That way. Yeah, yeah,
0: and I think I think in studio also, uh, Kevin Kuhn's going to join us for a few minutes. He's Ooh,
1: I'm not I'm not going to stay in for that.
0: Yeah, you will. Okay, so Kev- Kevin will be here for a few minutes, and um, and so he will uh, impart to us some of his wisdom and knowledge. Great. So it'll be a short visit. Be before. all about a minute. Hey Kevin, uh, thanks for joining us today in studio. Uh, glad that you could uh, join Scott and I. We know that you've been out and about here lately. Just kind of give us a little brief update on what's been going on with you.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to actually be back in the office for a little bit. Uh, Kyle and I, um, you know, we we're joking this morning that we're we've basically been out storm chasing. You know, yes, we're we're, yes. We're, <laughs> we're trying to plant corn, but every time we show up to plant corn, the thunderstorms follow us. So. We're not uh, not getting much done right now.
0: Well I, I will tell you this. I'm glad if that's the case, I'm glad that you and Kyle were off yesterday yes. because we got some we got some stuff done around here.
2: It's kinda it's kinda odd. We were in Wisconsin yesterday and we got rained out, so we moved down to central Illinois and got some things planted. Back in the office today. Guess what's in the forecast tonight?
0: Yep, yep. Thunderstorms. More Thank rain. you. Thank so, you. We're back. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, Scott and I we've been talking about consumer labeling. Or, or product labeling and, and just consumer perception. And, and really, uh, we looked at a study from university of Illinois that kind of ranked the top seven. Uh, and the, 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 seventh one was actually this, this product is uh, certified organic. So, so that was really lower down than, than what Scott and I kind of figured you read the article. Uh, you got any takeaways
2: from any of that? You know, really the biggest things, the biggest thing for me is, uh, we're seeing a lot of change in the ag industry and it's, it's streaming from some of this consumer demand. Sure. Um, you know, the, the part that, that is really interesting to me is that we're seeing that demand change as a result of consumer opinion that is not necessarily based on, um, actual experience and actual facts on, on some of the things that are, that are happening in, in, involved with those ag products. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, it, it, you have, you have farms that are literally uh, making decisions on their bottom dollar based on what, uh, you know, some consumer is going to pick up off the shelf. You know, it, it it happens indirectly, but, but that's greatly affecting what's happening with our, with our growers right now.
0: Yeah. And, and, and we talked through that a little bit in the fact that we think that there's some resistance out there from farmers.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, any time that you have a, a any any business you look at, um, if I've got something that's working, I'm making money. Uh, it's successful. I don't want to change it's, that. It's system. safe. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I I'm, I'm comfortable where I'm at. Um, making a change uh, is always going to going to involve some kind of a risk, and sure. you know, and so uh, most of our growers are looking to to avoid those risks if they can.
0: Yes. Yeah. We we we. We think that there's got to be this way to kind of educate both sides and And it just seems like there's nobody really you know giving the the farmer space to educate the consumer and the consumer, you know, say, you know the, so the soccer mom says I, I want I want milk without hormones in it, okay?" And so the farmers say, well, why? why? Why do you want milk without hormones in it? And, and then the farmers say, well, this is what hormones, you know, in, in milk help us with, you know. Or- here's,
1: here's what I'm able to provide for you by doing this is, you know, whatever it might be. Exactly. Production cost or something, you know. Um, the, you know, the biggest thing that still I think is the biggest disconnect that I, I don't think consumers are getting is the cost factor. Right. What this could, you know, if it goes the way that it looks like it could what this could do to cost.
0: Well, and I also think that conversely, there's, and, and Kevin, you can correct me here, but I, I think that sometimes the farmers think it's going to cost more than what it really is. That's true.
2: Sure, yeah. You know, there's there's a common misconception out there. When we look at, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of movement for the uh, the non-GMO push right sure. now. And, you know, a lot of growers think that if I'm going to convert from a system right now where I'm using glyphosate, And I'm going to go away from that system. I'm going to use conventional corn and only use conventional corn herbicides. That, you know, my chemical bill uh, is going to be a lot higher, or I'm going to have to spend a lot more on insecticide and, and things like that. Um, You know, and and there are changes in your management practices, but in most cases, when we really look at dollars and cents, there's not that much difference. Most of the guys that are spraying glyphosate on their crops are using those residual conventional herbicides anyway. Yes. Um, You know, so so all we're doing is taking the glyphosate out and maybe making sure they're more timely, kind of changing up up the approach of how some of that stuff is sprayed. Uh, but most of the time you know dollars and cents it's it's there's not much difference especially when we look at a reduced seed cost when we take away that uh, you know that trade cost
0: the trade cost for sure yeah what's interesting is that is that in any argument right between anybody if if you're if you're not looking at facts and figures and those things that it becomes you're stupid no you're stupid and and it appears that that's kind of what we've got and Scott you talked about it those those very ends of those group, that small percentage, that's the loudest. That's really what you got. You got farmers screaming to consumers, "You're stupid. You don't know anything." And you, and then you have you have the the consumer saying, screaming at the farmer, "No, you're stupid. You don't know anything. And you've just bought into what the industry's telling you to do." Right. And and, and nobody's really sitting down and talking through those things.
2: Sure. And and the unfortunate part is. Ultimately, we have to find some common ground because yes. it, the the farmer has to be profitable. Yes, um, you know we we have to keep we have to keep these farms thriving, keep them going to keep the consumer supplied. Yes, um, at the same time, the consumer has to have some say so in 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 what they're they're purchasing, what's showing up on the shelves. Absolutely, you know. So we, we got to find some we got to find some common ground there uh, for everybody uh, in order in order to keep. You know, keep the shelves full and, and keep products out there at an affordable price. We, we have to we have to find some and, middle ground. And, and
0: let's be honest, as for for us in America, we have cheap food. Yeah. You know, I mean, we we have access to cheap right. food. Uh, it may not be the the highest quality, and it may not be the best, uh, the highest nu- nutritious food, but it's cheap. I mean, I, I've got I've got five kids at home, and I could literally go to the store and buy five $1 pizzas and put those in the oven every night, you know, and they, and they would, they would have enough calories to to survive on, you know, now that's not, that's not healthy for them. And, and, you know, not doing that every night. So we've got cheap food, but what we've got to be able to do is bridge that gap between, okay, consumer perception is this is what is good for my family. All right, and the farmer says, "Okay, this is what's good good for for my farm and my operation, and 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 really his family. Sure, you know what I mean, and and kind of kind of be able to, to to bring that together. One of the other aspects that we kind of talked about there is, and we'll get your opinion on this. Do you think do you think things are over labeled? Do you think we've
2: over labeled? Absolutely. And and what's happening is we're seeing, uh, we're seeing the. We walk down the aisles at the grocery store. We see labels that are there that are not necessary. You know, you see you, yeah, you see, yeah. you see a, a gluten-free label on on a package of steaks or on beef jerky. <laughs> that's or, exactly <laughs> what we just said. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah. <what> we use <laughs> the exact same <laughs> to, Sure.
2: So, so, the, so that industry is, is taking advantage of the lack of knowledge from the consumer. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and they're, they're throwing labels out there that, that catch the eye. And the consumer is left to assume that well, if this product doesn't have the label on it, then it must have gluten in it, or it must have growth hormones, or whatever whatever is the case. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's there's just not a lot of consistency in the way products are labeled, and and you know the the consumer loses out on that because they don't they don't understand the process. That,
0: you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And and somebody's got to help them understand that process. Sure. And and they've got to find they've got to find the person that they that they trust because because. Because they don't, they don't trust, they don't trust the 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 uh, the retailer. They don't trust the 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 the, the company that is um, packaging it, you know. And, and ultimately, we've we've separated that the farmer and the consumer, and, and they're not talking to each other either. And so somebody's got to be able to educate them there where they where they trust. But I I am just gonna I'm gonna throw this out and get in trouble if 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 it happens. I'm always in trouble, right? We also have to have. I know you know, look. Everybody just tensed up right in here, right? It was like, oh god, <laughs> awkward. Where is he going with this? Yeah, <laughs> you know what? We also we 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 somewhat live in a post-factual society also, where where somebody, where a lot of people get get what they think is facts from from the internet. You know, I've got I've got kids who are. uh you know, six, seven, eight years old, uh, and and they're like, well, I, I read this on the internet, and I'm like, not everything you read on the internet is true, right. and and we've got to we've got to be able to get consumers out of that mindset a little bit, right. and 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 where you're you're not you're not so dumb yeah. <laughs> that that you believe everything that you hear.
2: Is this yeah. fake news? Well, <laughs> this
0: is not fake news. I don't know, you know, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fake news or, or, just, or just anything or, or just some idiot with a YouTube channel who's like, you know, who? well, I mean, idiots with news n- YouTube channels, not, you know, not people like us, right? But, uh, <laughs> but you know, some, some idiot with a YouTube channel that thinks that the BT trait in corn is a pesticide that's going to kill his children. Right. You know, that, that if they get close to the cornfield, they're gonna get some pesticide on them from the BT tree. That's 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 asinine. Yeah. It's 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 ludicrous. And so there's gotta be a way to kind of draw them in into truth. Yeah. And and so I so I I got on the soapbox and started went from went from preaching to well, meddling there need for you a minute. T- just take a little step down from that box for a second. Let's
1: get let's bring it on back. let mark. Come on, come back to it. Yeah, absolutely. Us, okay? but, yeah, but, she, no, but you're on the right track. I mean, you you really are. As much as that's difficult to say sometimes. I mean, but you are absolutely on the right track. And just just that that disconnect is just. I mean, I think it's way worse than than we realize i think you're right and i mean and until you get the opportunity you know because so much of the presentations that we do are to farmers right and until you get the chance that an organization comes and says hey will you come talk about what you do and i don't care i don't care what group it is five minutes into that someone says what about non-gmo and gmo (laughs) like oh boy here you know here we go because people have a thirst to want to know, yeah. but yet they don't know what, what source to trust. Yep. You know, just like you said, I mean, I'll use my mom as a great example. My mom is, you know, in her 70s, and my gosh, if it's on Facebook, it's real. <laughs> it's real, yeah. You know? yeah. It is yeah. real. So, yeah. so a lot of these satire news things that she sees, I'm getting panic calls, you know, <laughs> about, you know, planes disappearing. I mean, just random things like easy, you know. Yeah. So if she sees something on there, it's real, yeah. right? She's not alone. I mean, there is people in every single age group that are guilty of this. Absolutely, and just that. But I mean, the it still just comes back to who's the burden lie on to educate.
0: Yep. And, and 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 the truth is, it's on all of us. It's, it has to be. It, it, it's on all of us, and 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 so that is our that is our burden. So so Kevin, uh, just to kind of wrap it up, appreciate that you're here. In anything else that you uh, that you want to add, you know, to what you've been doing, what's going on, or anything else that we've that you could comment on that we've been talking about.
2: You know, for for me, this is uh, today's just kind of a chance to get back in the office and play catch up a little bit. Right. Um, you know, with with all the work that's going on in the field. You know, I think we've got like. Uh, about 35 advancement plot locations going in this year, you know, so we got cooperators putting those in. Uh, Kyle and I have been moving around uh, trying to get all of our research plots in. I know uh, you guys have been helping Cullen here uh, this week. Um, so, you know, the, the nursery is much larger than it's been in the past. Oh, it's and, a, uh,
0: it's, it's a monster. It is. I don't
2: know, you know, if you can call that a nursery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like that kid's grown up.
1: <laughs> it's time to get that kid out into the regular church, not back in the nursery anymore. Exactly. That's huge. Exactly.
2: But uh, you know we we've had we've had a number of a number of setbacks with the weather um, and uh, you know some equipment issues. Michael called me in a panic yesterday. He had oh. an electrical fire in uh, oh, no. in his uh, his tractor that he was planting some of his crossing blocks with, but no no major damage. Everybody was all right. So you know we're we're still Good. Good. still moving on. So most most everything is, is done now. Uh, we got a couple things left just uh, need Mother Nature to give us a break in the rain, and we'll sure. get it finished up. You know, June's coming in close, so we, we'd like to have everything in the ground by now. No doubt.
0: No doubt. Hey, Kevin, uh, thanks for the good work, and, uh, and appreciate you coming in and uh, and stopping in and seeing us.
2: So Thanks a lot, guys. You're welcome.
0: So, hey, uh, Roy, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you uh, allowing us to speak with you. We know you got a busy schedule and what have you, but we appreciate you calling in. Uh, we've been kind of Scott and I have been kind of talking about consumer um, uh, perspectives, kind of what consumers want, and especially when we deal with labeling and and then how that affects uh, some of the practices that farmers have. And so you know, as a producer, you as a producer, if uh, if, a, if a farmer or if a consumer is asking for, you know, uh, antibiotic free or non GMO or even organic stuff. H- how does that, how does that, um, h- how does that change your thinking in your practices or does it at all?
3: As far as the antibiotics, it change. It would change absolutely nothing. Okay. You know ever Treat is something that is sick or has a problem. And so it's no different than yourself. If you've got a, if you've got an issue, you're going to go to the doctor, you're going to get it taken care of. And that's, you know, good animal husbandry says you know you've got to take care of your animals. Sometimes that involves antibiotics. But sure. every beef that leaves the farm has to be antibiotic free. Same way with every tank load of milk that leaves. So I can't ship anything there, antibiotic wise, that uh, that it, that is tainted. So that would change none of my practices. Okay. So- um, if 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 consumers demanded all uh, non-GMO feed, that takes one one growing season, and you can do that. So, um, you know, it depends on what you've got in the past. The, the challenge you're going to face with a little bit of non-GMOs is weed control, in, uh, uh, especially in soybeans. Uh, corn isn't maybe quite as bad, but it can be. Um, you know, you got to use some different systems. Organic, um, there's not much organic in our area. I don't, um, there's, there's becoming a little bit more of that, though, so I don't know. I, I honestly don't know a lot about organic. I'll just be right honest with you. No, that makes sense. I so, think they they so. have a lot of challenges in our area, I think, with weed control, um, you know, getting enough fertility out there in those fields. Um to To be able to grow what they need to grow without growing a mess of weeds.
1: Yeah. So, Roy, just to kind of so we so everybody's listening kind of has a good idea. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about your farm? You you guys do some non-GMO, is that right? Or what all are you doing? Yep. How many cows are you milking? Uh, tell us about you. You so that way we kind of can give everybody else an understanding.
3: Okay. So we have around fifteen hundred acres, and I grow uh, corn and soybeans. About some wheat and some alfalfa and Then the balance is grass and wasteland And then um, We milk two uh, hundred and twenty five registered cows um, Milk twice a day Around a 25,000 pound herd average um, It's me and my brother On the phone and I'm bringing my two boys They're coming back into the operation right now So uh, we raise raise and feed as much of what we can As we can
1: Okay, that makes sense So Kind of as far as in your area, what uh, not just on your farm, but uh, what about other farmers? Are you you know the around the around the coffee shop or wherever it is? What are you hearing them talk about in relation to these consumer trends that are going on? Is there a very hands off kind of, you know, they don't they don't even know what they want, or is there a frustration, or is it is there an understanding amongst farmers, or is it just a confusion all around? What would you say? From the people in your area in Kansas, I guess basically, um, kind of that that mid mid you know United States area that you're hearing.
3: Well, we've kind of got two. I'm going to say there's kind of um, you might say two groups of farmers in my area. You got the ones that are trying to capture some non-GMO dollars. Sometimes you can get a premium for some corn and for some beans. Um, then you've got the other group of guys who. You know the latest and greatest uh, stack traits and, and this and that and everything else. You know they they're pretty aggressive farmers, aggressive fertility, and you know they're just flat out trying to make yields so we can have bushels to sell at town. So um, that's that's kind of the both both sides of the thing. Um, I probably hear more what the consumer wants on the dairy side than I do on the grain side. Um, you know, the, considering that. Uh, you know if but however if the demand is there for non-gmo crops I think guys oh well, you know some would not all would I mean because some guys just like the ease of, of some of the uh, uh weed herbicide programs that you can use with certain crops and and they don't want to go through the extra challenges that you got to do with uh, trying to do some different different types of things but uh, it is a big deal I', I leave market my market through dairy farmers in America and that's, always on the forefront. What do the consumers want? You know, is it this kind of milk? Is it this? Do they want um, you know just, it, it's always because we're always trying to sell our product because it as a short, we can't put it in a steel bin like leave it sit there for a year and see what happens. I mean, when it goes to market, it's got to be in the store you know, in a short period of time and it's got to be used in any, any short period of time. So <clears throat> that's where we run into issues on the dairy side. That oh, wow. We're always constantly looking for a market
0: no, that that makes a lot of sense, and and uh, I, I think I think that that probably echoes in in, in all areas. You know, you're, you're exactly right. A, a row crop farmer, he can stick his stuff in a steel bin, and it sits there. But but these guys who are raising, uh, you know, beef or poultry or anything like that, you know, you can't just you can't just stick that somewhere uh, and, and let it sit there for a year. And um, and so right. you you gotta you've gotta be in touch with what the consumer wants.
1: Yep. So, okay. So speaking kind of further from a, had your, how long have you guys practiced the way that you do now? What made you decide to kind of start looking more um, on the non-GMO side of things? Was it a an emotional decision? Was it a was it a weed management decision? What do you and, and the other farms that are making that? I know you hit on it being a uh, financial. financial decision, but is there is there any emotion involved in that for the guys in your area, or is it all financial?
3: Oh, I don't know if there's emotion or not. I mean, I, um, a, a big part of, of some of the genetic engineering on the crops is it's not relevant in our area most of the time. For instance, BT corn we've proven time and time again that, you know, we just don't have that insect pressure where I live, that it's a big deal. So, um, and even as long as there's so much, most of the crops in our area are rotated. So it's, it's very seldom corn on corn. Now the corn on corn acres, that's a different story. You've got to do something with that. But for the most part, guys do a pretty good job of crop rotations. And we've been able to keep, you know, the bug population just really doesn't affect us that much. And, We've proven with uh, side-by-sides and, and uh, test plots that some of our, uh, you know, our just plain corns can flat-out yield compared to, to some of our uh, triple-stack hybrids and stuff like that. So, um now I'm not saying that, that there's years that they don't have an advantage, but for the most part I would say there's been, we've been able to raise really good yields with, with our non-GMO crops compared to the other ones. And oftentimes it's a, um, you know, corn's three bucks, and if you can buy corn for for X amount, or you can buy it for twice as much, so something else that's got all the bells and whistles, um, and you, and maybe it's not going to yield very much more, then you're probably going to tend to go with the cheaper cheaper product. If corn's such a small box, you can look uh, a four hundred dollar bag of seed corn and sell buy it. Yeah, absolutely. So when sense. it's three dollars, no. move on. Makes so, sense
0: hey roy we appreciate you uh calling in and, and talking to us today we appreciate your perspective and and uh and and chit-chatting with us about that we hope everything uh, continues to go well for your planting season and uh, and the rest of your growing season so thanks roy appreciate it thanks roy right, yep, no talk, problem. talk to right, you later okay. all right hey uh scott uh as we uh wrap up is there anything else that you think we need to add to this uh uh, thoughts about you know consumer ideas and, and consumer perspectives and and what the consumer wants and in labeling or anything like that
1: i just re- i really hope i think the one of the best things we talked about was that that huge gap of between the consumer and the farm and that there's probably not that many farms that are really that negative about it and there's yeah. probably not that many consumers that are that negative on the farms but those small percentages of people are having the large voice so let's try to get the middle you uh, yeah know, yeah uh, to have a larger voice and have more and more topics like this absolutely and discussions like this and that's what's going to make the
0: difference good good hey scott thanks for coming in today thanks. appreciate you co-hosting with me we appreciate our guests kevin coon roy bessing and so uh, had a good talk, and I hope that you guys out there listening uh, uh, enjoyed this, but it also kind of got a perspective about it, and especially you guys that are producers, some way that you can kind of help reach out to the consumers and, and kind of bridge that gap. So we appreciate you listening. This has been uh, Master's Choice Podcast Episode 13. Remember that you can catch us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and, of course, always at our website, seedcorn.com. Thanks for joining us.